Hi, and welcome to the Vine Community Church Podcast. We hope that what you're about to hear will help you to flourish in God's grace and bear fruit through loving God, loving each other, and loving our community. Uh, My name is Garrison Young, one of the elders here at the Vine Community Church, and we've been in a series uh, through 1 Samuel, and we've been looking at this, small actions that have big implications. We've seen small things like a prayer Uh, from a woman who desired uh, just to have children. Her name was Hannah, and her simple obedience and how it is that the Lord used that in mighty ways uh, to a prominent family in Eli, the priesthood of this time, and their corruption and their disobedience, and Eli turning a blind eye uh, to his sons blaspheming against the Lord. All of these small actions having a large implication as we see God is unfolding his plan to end an entire line of his priesthood, to raise up a new line and a new leader that's going to take his people in a new trajectory. Because this is where they've been on, as we reference from the book of Judges, that everyone in that day, they'd forgotten the word of the Lord and they started doing what was right in their own eyes. And it led to a series of unfortunate events for his people. And God does not want to leave his people there. Loves them too much to keep them lost, right, as we sang. But he wants to start a new trajectory for his people. So today we're going to start seeing that fruit of Hannah's prayer and her obedience when it is that she offered her son Samuel, her beloved son that she had longed for, God finally gifted to her. She gives him over to God's service. And as God calls Samuel to be more than a priest, he's going to also use him to lead Israel in a new direction. And as God calls Samuel, we're going to see today that when God speaks, his people are to proclaim his word. And that note, would y'all, if you're able, please stand with me as we read from the word of God. This is the word of the Lord from 1 Samuel, chapter 3. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down. And if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place, and the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I'm about to do a thing in Israel, at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. 
Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, here I am. And Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you, and more also if you hide anything from me, all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything, and he hid nothing from him. And he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what he seems good to him. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him. And let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh. For the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Man, if you're looking for something today uh, to trust in, um, the word of God tells us this. Everything is failing you. Everything will fail you at some point. But this, the word of the Lord, it will stand forever. If you want something to bank on, bank on this. Bank on the words, the gracious words that we hear in this word, the salvation from sins in Jesus. Put your trust here. Put your hope here. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us your word. Just thank you for revealing yourself to us, speaking to us, that we might hear from you directly, that we might know what you're like, all that you are. That you are what our hearts have been longing for, as it says in Ecclesiastes, that you've placed eternity in our hearts. Father, you have spoken and shown us the eternal one. So, Lord, as we come to your word, uh, fill us. Satisfy us with your word, as it is our daily bread. As we look to you, Jesus, to give us the very words of life. Amen. Amen. Hope you see them. Thank you. So again, we said when God speaks, his people are to proclaim his word. We've been talking about small actions, but it is no small act for God to speak. But it obviously has huge implications for all when he does. So we're going to look at, through this passage, the mercy. First off, the mercy of God to speak. Second, we'll look at how it is that Samuel positioned himself to hear God speak. And last, we'll look at Samuel and him accepting the role to speak and proclaim God's word. So first we look to the mercy of God to speak, um, but has anyone ever received the silent treatment from someone before? Not a fun feeling, right? Israel's getting a little bit of the silent treatment here, but we're going to see what God does about that in his mercy. From verse 1, we learn that the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. And it's obviously, there's, it's no wonder that the word of the Lord was rare in those days because the people had demonstrated they had no desire to follow, no desire to obey God in his word. As we saw back in Judges again, right? Everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. And now this corruption of God's people has made it all the way up to his coveted priesthood that he has set apart for the purposes of leading his people in holiness. This corruption has come to Eli and his sons and his family, the ones, again, supposed to be leading these people. So God, in a season of right judgment, it was right for him to do this. 
He's letting his people have the desires of their heart. And that's a scary place to be. We read of that in Romans 1, where it says that God gave them over to the very thing they wanted, the things that would destroy them. So God let them have their sinful desires for a season, and he pulled his presence back, and he was silent. And that was not a place that any of us want to be. It's not a place where the people of God want to be. And thanks be to God, that's not the story of God and his people. Because the story of God and his people is not that we are faithful to him, but that he is faithful to us, even when we have gone astray. See, God is a covenant maker, and he is a covenant keeper. One of my favorite words throughout all the Old Testament is this word. I think I counted it sometimes. I think it was north of like 150 or so times. The word remember just shows up in context of God remembering. He is often described as being kindled towards anger towards his people because of their sin. And then it follows with this. But God remembers his covenant. He remembered the covenant he had made with his people where he said, you will be my people and I will be your God. Even when you are not making me your God, you will still be my people. I am going to be good to the promise that I've made even when you break that promise over and over and over again. He remembers his covenant and he extends mercy to a people that have earned his wrath. See, Israel's sin has now persisted and Eli's line is justifiably coming to an end. But God does not remain silent. But he remembers his covenant And he speaks to Samuel. When all hope seems lost, the word of the Lord comes at the right time. And this is a pattern that we see throughout the Old Testament. We've seen the same call of the the double name call that he says, Samuel, Samuel. We've seen this a few times now in the Old Testament. First, when Abraham has taken his son as God has directed to him to sacrifice his one and only son that he had longed for, And as he's about to put the dagger in his son, calls out, Abraham, Abraham. God stops him and provides a sacrifice in his place. Why? God was remembering his covenant. Because God had promised to Abraham, you will become a great nation. I will make your descendants as many as the stars. And guess what? It was going to come through Isaac. So for him to sacrifice Isaac was for God to not be good on his promise, but God in the word of God stepped in at the right moment and called out to Abraham. Again, we see this period where God's people are without the word of God and are in need of mercy when, when Israel is slave in Egypt for 400 years. It says the new Pharaoh came to power and he had forgotten all the good work that had come through Joseph to save the nation of Egypt and all the world and had forgotten the works of Joseph and God and what they'd done for Egypt. And he said he started persecuting the Israelites because they were too many and he was afraid of losing power. And in their persecution, it says God's people cried out. And it says these cries made it up to God. And he doesn't stay silent anymore, but he calls out from the burning bush, Moses, Moses. And he starts this journey of the word coming to and through Moses of leading his people out of the evils in the slavery in Egypt. And he marches his people right into the promised land, which is bringing us up to our story today. 
They're in the promised land. And now they're no longer slaves to the evils of Egypt and Pharaoh, but now they've become slaves to their own sinful desires. That's the whole book of Judges. This is the trajectory that God is trying to take them off of. They would not be slaves to their sin, but they would be free in the worship of God. And the word of the Lord comes at this moment calling Samuel, Samuel. And he uses Samuel to lead his people to turn from their sins and start living those holy and set-apart lives that God had intended for them all along. What we need to see from the Old Testament is that God in his mercy, he will not leave his people without his word. We're going to see this one last time where there's this 400 years of silence. If you were to open up your Bible, it's, it's right in between the time of Malachi, the last time the word of the Lord came to a prophet, and then we flip over to the New Testament in Matthew. There's 400 years of no word of the Lord when it was rare in those days. But God does not stay silent again. And this time, the word does not come to a man, but the word comes as a man. As it says in John 1, the word was in the beginning, the word was with God, the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among men. The word that he is talking about is Jesus Everything that God is came to us, condescended to us, that we might see him face to face, what everything God is like. The word itself came as a man. And now it's actually this man who sat upon a cross, hung on a cross, and now he is crying out with that double name. When Jesus says, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? And what does Jesus receive? Silence. He doesn't receive a here I am from God the Father. He receives the Father's wrath the father turning his face away from him. Why? He was forsaken so that you would never be forsaken. The father kept silent when he cried out so that when you cry out, you will never experience silence from him. But in his mercy, he speaks and he responds. Jesus bore all the weight of our sin and he took every due punishment of it. And that was the Father turning his face away. The very thing that by him remembering his covenant he is refusing to do with you now that Jesus has paid the penalty that you deserve. You may cry out, my God, my God, and you will fully expect to never receive the silent treatment. But in his mercy, he speaks. And he speaks through the saving work of his son, Jesus. Man, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God for his mercy. Thanks be to God that he speaks to us, first through the prophets, but ultimately through his son, Jesus, the word of the Lord that we really needed. 
The second action that we see, it's a little bit smaller than God speaking. It's this uh, action of Samuel positioning himself to even hear God speak. If you look at verses two and three, we have at that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Two quick questions for you. Where is Eli and where's Samuel? Quick reading tip. In ancient narratives, uh, the physical location of characters is actually a very important and intentional detail by the author to convey meaning of the story and what is going on. So you have here Eli. Remember, God's high priest, okay? Where is he? He's currently in his own place rather than his designated post of being in the temple, tending to what's called the lamp of God. Tending to the lamp of God was a huge honor of the priest because what it was is through the watch of the night, the menorah, the seven candles were to be kept lit, never to go out so that the people of God may know that they're never left in the dark, but the light of God is always with them. It was a high honor to tend to this lamp of God and he has now abandoned his posts. And it's also no wonder then it, you know, kind of play on words. It says his eyesight's what? It's growing dim. The light is even leaving Eli. So you're you're seeing this foreshadowing of his uh, priesthood coming to an end and God raising up a new priesthood to who? To the one that is seated where? In the temple. What's in the temple? The ark of God, a.k.a. the presence of God. If the word of the Lord was so rare and so precious in this day, you know a really great place to be to hear God speak? In the very place where he says his presence will be. That'd be a great place to hang out. And yet, we see Eli carrying on the current trajectory of his people, doing right within his own eyes, right? Just kind of giving in, throwing in the towel a little bit. But here's the new, where God is raising up in Samuel to lead his people in a new way. He's positioned himself in the presence of God to hear him speak. It makes me so much think of um, Anna and Simeon in Luke 2. I love how it describes them as these two elderly people that have parked themselves in the temple of God. And it says they do not depart. Why? Because they're waiting. They're waiting to see and meet the Messiah, the boy Jesus, the word of God come into the flesh. So again, as we look to Jesus previously, as we always do in the Old Testament, we're going to look back to Jesus again because he too did the same thing. Jesus is described throughout the Gospels as routinely breaking away early in the morning and throughout the day, it says, to a desolate place. To do what? To pray to be with his father, to put himself in the presence of God, to position himself to hear from the father. Why? Because that was his lifeblood, is what sustained him. It was his strength to continue on in his ministry and his mission here in in this life, communion with the father. Jesus regularly positioned himself to hear from the father. Now talking about positioning, I do have to acknowledge there's a few Instances, right, where we see God speak to someone completely out of position. We have the Apostle Paul, who's persecuting Jesus, 
kind of probably the opposite of positioning yourself to hear from God, right? And all of a sudden, he's walking down the road, and the word of the Lord comes and blinds him on the road to Damascus. So we do have those examples. But I'm, I'm telling you here today, if you're feeling far off from God, you're not feeling, uh, hearing him speak, it's not going to be a great practice just to wait around and assume God is going to blind you while you're walking down the road. Rather, it would be a great practice to engage yourself regularly in what we call the spiritual disciplines. These are things like reading the word. It's prayer. It's fellowship with the saints, what it is that we're doing here today. So if today you would say, hey, the word of the Lord, it's rare or it's missing in my day to day. What I want to ask you is this, is how close are you standing to hear him? Are you standing close enough to hear from him? Have you positioned yourself through these practices or have you forsaken them? I don't believe there's a secret formula and I don't think there's a code that we're gonna crack to hear from the Lord. But I know that in the word, it does simply say this. Jesus says, if you seek, you will find. Later on in the book of James, it says, as you draw near to the Lord, guess what? He is drawing near to you. It's not a secret code, formula, but it is habits. There are disciplines that we can put ourselves in position to hear from the Lord. And so if you are in that dry and weary land, if you are feeling like, man, I just have not heard from the Lord, I've been reading my Bible, I have been praying, when am I going to hear from him? If you are parched, what I need to tell you today is do not forsake these regular disciplines because these regular disciplines are leading you to the one who is inviting you to drink from a well of living water. There's nowhere else for you to run, nowhere else for you to go to. Jesus has the words of life. If you need to hear from him, how close are you standing today to even do so? You might think it's duty, okay? You might think it's going through the motions. That's what Samuel was doing. I love that it says, and yet Samuel did not know the Lord. He was ministering day and day in the temple, going through the ritual, and yet he did not know the Lord. Not like Eli's sons, who it says they did not know the Lord because they actively rejected him. It was Eli, not Eli, but Samuel, right? Yet does not know the Lord. He, and it wasn't for lack of trying. You can say he went through the motions, but what he was doing was faithfully positioning himself to hear, hear from the Lord when he did speak. So how close are you standing? And parents, how close are you positioning your children to hear God speak? In our early morning prayer, one of our elders, Norm, uh, just prayed that, and I, I just loved it, and I, I want to include it here, is that is your role as a parent entrusted with one of God's children is to routinely position them to hear from the Lord. This does look like routine. It does look like forming habits, these disciplines. And if you think, hey, that's, that's too much stuffy duty religion for me, what do you do every morning when you wake up? You automatically, without thinking, reach your phone and have the things you scroll to. It's a habit that you have formed. Form a new habit. Form one that's gonna quench your thirst. 
Form one that's going to be for the good and the health of your family to hear from the Lord in the direction that they truly need in life to find joy, happiness, and peace for their soul. Position yourself and position your family to hear from the Lord. And last, we see the role of God's people to speak. So we have it that the word of the Lord has now come to Samuel, and he has an opportunity. From verse 15, Samuel lay until morning, then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. Anyone ever here been an intern? Okay. Board of directors comes to you, lowly intern, and says, we are kicking the can on the CEO. I need you to go tell him. You might be a little afraid to go tell the CEO his fate. And that's exactly kind of what we have here. It's justifiable that Sam is a little bit afraid uh, because the word that he has received from the Lord is the judgment that Eli and his family are about to endure, God says, for the rest of his family's life. So you, lowly temple intern Samuel, go tell Eli. He has an opportunity, and it's an opportunity to decide this. Who am I going to fear? Will I fear man, or will I fear God? Will I fear Eli and his reaction and what he might do to me? Or will I, am I, and will I hide God's word, or will I fear God? refuse to hide his word and faithfully proclaim what it is that he has given me to share. In verse 18, it says, so Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. The word of the Lord came to Samuel to be shared, so he rightly responded by not hiding the word he had received. And the boldness and the confidence to do so. It doesn't come from within Samuel, but it says this from the word of the Lord. It says, the Lord was with him. And the Lord let none of his words fall to the ground. Why didn't he let any Samuel's words fall to the ground? Well, because they were actually God's words. And God is going to remain true to his word. He's not going to let Samuel be put to shame. It says later on, 1 Samuel 9, it says he's actually held in honor because all that he says comes true. Why? Because the role of the prophet was to do this, not to pick and choose which of God's words he wants to share or edit them to make God's word a little bit more PC, politically correct for the masses, but it's to simply relay the very word that God has given him to the very people he has intended it for. And he refuses to hide that word And that's why the Lord lets none of them fall to the ground because through Samuel speaking them, God is just speaking his word into the world that he might fulfill it. So we see Samuel is fulfilling this role as a prophet in the same manner of the great prophet Jesus. As Jesus says, he didn't even come and speak with his own authority from John 12. He says, but from the Father who gave him a commandment, what to say in what to speak. Every work that you have given me, Jesus says to the Father, I have completed. Every word that you have given me, I have spoken. There's nothing Jesus did apart from the word and the direction of God the Father. And we'd said earlier, right, that in Jesus, God no longer is speaking to us 
to and through a man, but the word has come as a man. It says it in Hebrews 1 that God spoke previously by the prophets, but that is no more. Why? Because now he has spoken to us by his son. The word has become flesh and has been revealed to all men. We're not awaiting another prophet. We're not awaiting the word of the Lord to come, someone else that we may know. But now the word that we are to proclaim has been made clear in Jesus. And it's not our role as his people to pick and choose or redact God's word as we see fit to match the culture of the day. But it is simply to receive his word as it has been revealed in his scriptures and through Jesus. So what it says is what it says. God isn't speaking to you to te- for you to tell him what he's saying. He has spoken to us to tell us what he's saying and how he has ordered and created his world and for us to abide in it. He's given us this word to proclaim in the world. And just like the word that he had for Eli that day, the word is the same for us. This is the word that we receive from Scripture. And we need to hear this clearly today. And it is that sin is real. Eli, your sin is real. The sins of your son is real. And it's serious. Sin is making a mess of people. Sin is making a mess of marriages. Sin is making a mess of families. Sin is making a mess of this world. In the wrath of God, it is also real. And it's also serious. And it's reserved for sin. And the bad news is that we have all sinned. But the good news is that Jesus is real. And his salvation is real. And his salvation only comes through him. His life, his death, his resurrection, they are sufficient for delivering a sinner from the wrath of God and inviting him by his grace into the family of God as a son or daughter of the king of the universe. The good news is your sin is real and it is, or yeah, the bad news is it's, your sin is real, it is serious. The wrath of God is real and it is serious. But the good news is he does not want you to stay there under his wrath, but he has provided Jesus who he said he took the wrath that you might come in. This is the word that we have to proclaim. And for the word of the Lord to be rare in our days, is a direct result of our deliberate disobedience to not faithfully proclaim the word that we have been given. We're not waiting on another prophet. The word has come in Jesus. Everything that God has wanted to speak, he has spoken in Jesus. The message of salvation from sins through Jesus has come to you and me, that we would take that message out into the world. Today might be, in America, maybe the most hostile time for us Christians, and it might only get worse. So the question for us today is, who are we going to fear? 
Are we going to hide this word that we have received or are we gonna let it be known as God has made it known to us in Jesus? Church, rest assured, the Lord is with us, it says. As Jesus sent out his disciples in the Great Commission, it says, go, go and make disciples in all nations and behold, I am with you to the end of the age. And we, with this message of salvation through Jesus and Jesus alone, we will not be put to shame because one day it says every knee will bow. Every knee, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. We will not be put to shame with this message that we carry. So yes, your work environment might be hostile towards the good news of Jesus. Your school might be hostile towards the good news of Jesus. But we have to ask ourselves, who are we going to fear? Are we gonna hide his word or let it be known? Speaking specifically in in today's culture, Allison and I were having a conversation the other day about how it is as a family, that we're responding to Pride Month. That's a conversation you need to have. How are you equipping your children? How are you equipping yourselves to have these conversations graciously, in love? And I'm, uh, I'm thinking this, and I'm having to ask myself as I, as I uh, see the news, as I see the things going on, what's growing in me? Is rage growing in me? Is anger growing in me? Is my heart becoming cold and hard? Or is compassion growing in me? Is compassion growing in me? For those out there that are drowning in the lies of Satan in this world, Apart from the word of God, what is true in this life and in creation? Are they drowning in the same sin that I was drowning in? And I'm sitting over here with my life preserver. That God had thrown me one time in his word and pulled me out of the waters and saved me. And am I just holding on to this life preserver and looking at others in this world drowning around me? Mind you, I'm still sopping wet because he just pulled me out. And am I just holding on to it, afraid of what people might say, of what they might do to me? Or will I not hide the word of God and I will throw that life preserver out to pull somebody out just as I was pulled out by the word of the Lord mercifully spoken to me when I was dead in my trespasses and sins. Church, this is the word of the Lord that your neighbor is hungering for. This is the word that your coworker is thirsting for. This is the word that the world around us is groaning for. Are we, are we refusing to hide 
the word of God and faithfully proclaim the word that we have received that others may come to know. Jesus in his grace and his mercy and the salvation that has been freely offered, the opportunity to turn from their sin and to walk in the freedom that is Jesus. We need to go from here today and think very intentionally, how am I doing this? How am I proclaiming the word of God that has been spoken to me? Man, I love it. I, I, I had a customer the other day um, was insistent about handing me, he and his wife's um, information on a business card. He's an elderly gentleman. And I was like, I have a feeling I know exactly what's going on here. Hands me the card and sure enough, I turn on the back, it's Romans 8, 28. You might say that's like super cheesy, but what this man, Peter Hughes, like so desperately wants is everyone he comes in contact with to hear the word that he's received. How are you actively, intentionally thinking about this? Because people lost in their sin aren't for you just to get angry over. It's for you to look on compassion and say, I was them. I was there once. And someone share the word with me. Man, be emboldened to do that. I love, uh, I get to work with strangers every single day. I want you to get very practical here. I work with strangers every single day and I get to um, meet them, talk with them and begin earning their trust. I had a, had a customer really early on uh, hand me a, a large check and she did a double take. And she's like, for some reason, I, I just really trust you. And like in the moment, I was like, ah, yes. I said, hey, I really appreciate you said that. I follow Jesus and I, I seek to be like him. And so I really appreciate you saying that. And I just let it sit. And it start, started more conversation. And now it's my job and my, and my job, I've made it my like ulterior motive is I want every per person I interact with at some point to articulate, hey, I trust you. Because then I just want to share Jesus with them. And like, that's what I'm doing day in and day out. And I absolutely love it. So where do you, in your job today, where is it you're walking? As you, as you go, it says, Matthew 28, as you go. Not, you know, hey, you gotta go, but as you're walking, how is it that you are sharing the word that you have received? Are you thinking on it? People are drowning. People are hungry. People are thirsty for the word of the Lord. And he has spoken. We're not waiting anymore. He has spoken in Jesus. And you have that gift to share. Are we sharing it? So Lord, as we close here today, we're just saying together, speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Tell us how you want to use us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your mercy to speak. We thank you that you've not kept us in the dark. You have not kept silent, but you have spoken to us by your son, Jesus. That everything that we've been longing for, hungry for, thirsting for, tired and weary for has been met in Jesus. Father, build up those in this room Equip them to go out, 
to go out into this world with the word that you have spoken to proclaim that others might share in our joy in the gift that we've received. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us for this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at thevinecc.com, download our mobile app, or visit us on Facebook or Instagram at thevinecc. Have a great week.